0: Hey, folks, I hope you're doing well. Uh, welcome to Snowpal Software Development and Architecture Podcast. In this podcast, we're going to talk about uh, a non-technical topic. Uh, we're going to talk about employee retention. Now, I'm not an expert in, in this space or any space for that matter, but having, uh, you know, uh, been building software for over two decades and by virtue of running a startup, I have some uh, experience I, I hope, uh, you know, uh, I, that I can share that I hope is going to be of uh, some value to folks who are watching and listening. Um, so, you know, I want to talk about employee retention and, you know, the overall employee experience, right, right from the point, you know, a recruiter, your, your recruiter internal, external reaches out to, to a potential candidate to, uh, the candidate onboarding and going through the experience of working at your organization, just, you know, in general, but just to see, uh, what are some things I think are important. I've seen it be important over the years, uh, and, and talk a little bit about that. Uh, and, you know, employee, employee retention—not uh, to state the obvious, but you know, it, it is important for for a number of reasons. I don't know what the actual data is, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be significantly more efficient, uh, cost-wise, and other otherwise as well, uh, to retain an existing hire than to to have them go or leave because they're not happy for whatever reason and, and backfill those positions. I don't know. If there's any scenario where that's optimal, right? Um, so with that, let's get started. Uh, I've I jotted down a list of points that I have I, that I wanted to share, and then we'll just uh, you know take it one at a time. The first point is the first item I have here is job description, right? Before you you even you even reach out to a candidate, uh, you are going to describe. The Position uh, How you describe the position, whether you're using you know t- in 2024, likely using some form of AI, generative AI, and tools to help you generate the job description. But there needs to be a human element, uh, a human element associated with that. I would uh, reckon you know, because uh, AI is getting better and better, uh, but it's still at this point, there's still you can tell that uh, it certain piece of text was generated. Uh, by a bot versus a human actually playing a role there. I think it's important, right? No matter what position you're trying to fill, it's important that somebody, when somebody reads it, it it tries to make an impression on them and speaks to them about your company, not just about what the job entails and what their roles and responsibilities would be and what you expect of, of them when they actually apply and interview and go through the process, but there needs to be a human touch whatever that means for uh, you know relative to the position you know i've seen job descriptions uh, you know uh, and over the years that are very robotic and you know sort of automated even before the ai days where it feels like it's it's, it's 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 like almost like a machine written type of j- description it it uh, it covers the you know the bullet points sure but it doesn't tell me anything more about the company i think it's a good opportunity uh, and no matter when, you know, uh, uh, maybe there is, today it's an employer's market, so you have more people available possibly to fill a position. Things change tomorrow, but regardless, to, to ensure that you attract good people, smart people, committed people, passionate people, you need to uh, present the best version of yourself. And hopefully, the version you present is actually the true version of your, yourself as a company. So you know, take that opportunity to 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 make it maybe funny. You know, uh, I don't know. I have, there's no single right answer. The things that have appealed that have appealed to me in general are job descriptions that were pretty informal. Uh, they had an element of humor and they felt more human. That you know, you almost wanted to apply to those positions. Now, sure, when you're looking for work, you're not not going to apply to a position because the job description is not attractive. I'm not saying that. Uh, it depends. What if somebody is passively looking? What if somebody is not even looking, but they uh, stumble into a description that's so attractive that they actually choose to want to apply and they happen to be the best candidate for that position, right? You never know. And there's no good reason to not do a better job than we could otherwise do, you know? Whatever your baseline is, in all in every facet of what we do at work and at home, we want to improve upon ourselves, right? So I think job description is actually uh, the first thing. Make sure it, it presents, uh, you know, your you and your company in, in the best fashion, and it's very clear and un, unambiguous, basically, right? That's one. The second is uh, recru- I I jotted it down as recruiter reach out. Internal versus external, um, but it, it's one of two things, right? Uh, you might have uh, either the recruiter, whether they are an internal or external recruiter, they might reach out to a candidate on LinkedIn or other platforms or you have a description and the candidate ends up applying to those positions, right? But we talked about the job description that covers the first scenario where it's actually uh, uh, the candidate uh, stumbles into the job description or goes to the website and sees it and they apply. But if the recruiter is reaching out, that's that's an important first step, right? It could be one or the other first step, right? They uh, Them applying or you reaching out to them. Now, there is a big difference in, from, you know, I've seen that if it's an internal recruiter versus an external recruiter, there is a difference and if the whole recruitment is actually sort of uh, outsourced to a different recruitment agency versus it uh, being a recruiter that's in the company uh, there would be differences as well right so each of those cases would need to be handled very specifically uh you know the, the attitude that the candidate needs a job more than that more than we need the candidate uh, is is i don't think it's a good one in any market because it's surely going to let the good candidate slip away right and you certainly don't want for that to happen. The second is, hey, we are not uh, one of those fang companies. So we don't have the time and money to to do all of this, like to go the whole nine yards and, and making that initial reach out to be uh, not just obviously professional, but also very clear, concise, and, and you know all of those nice beautiful adjectives, right? I think to the contrary, if you're not a fang company, you're gonna do better because uh, if you're one of those companies, then you have the brand that works for you. So people are probably definitely wanting to apply and want to get hired into your organization for n number of reasons. So if you're not one of them, just as a simple uh, example, I'm not saying it's just Fang. There's a lot of companies, but still, uh, you have to go the extra mile. When I have to reach out to somebody, say, you want to help us out at Snowpal, till we build the brand. So it's fancy, right? It, uh, we'll get that one They but we're not there yet. Uh, We have to go the extra mile to tell that we are a better place for somebody to work and spend the time and energy and, you know, contribute to the growth, their growth and to to the growth of our organization, right? So how that initial reach out is, is very, very important. I've seen it from being extremely brilliant that I've really wanted to apply to the company and actually want to get started the next minute to the point where I actually don't want to have anything to do with that organization because, of whatever the initial experience was, right? So it could, you know, there's there's a, a big spectrum, uh, you know, it runs the gamut. So you want to be uh, as good as you are able to be, right? If you uh, if it's an internal recruiter, it's I think it's a little bit easier because you're perhaps close. I don't know. I'm, I've never been a recruiter, but I'm just make, speculating here. So correct me if I'm wrong. You're probably a little bit closer to the team, uh, the hiring team, the dev managers, and whatnot. So you kind of know what the company culture is, what the expectations are, because you are part of the company. Uh, So you can communicate that very effectively to the potential, to the candidate. But if you're an external recruiter, I can imagine there's gonna be more challenges because you're probably working with a lot of different clients. Um, So you can only do so much. I don't know what that is, what that extent is, what limitations there are. Uh, So you may have to sort of do even more than the internal recruiters may have to potentially do uh, to bridge that gap. At least that's my hunch. The third item, the interview process. Now, you might be an organization that has eight rounds of interviews spread over two months, or you might have just a single interview and you make a decision in a couple of days. Now, why you have one process or the other, I don't wanna get into that because it just left you, the company, the size of the organization, the type of work, uh, type of role you're trying to fill. If you're hiring somebody uh, you know, uh, to say help out with, I don't know, if you say, Krish, can you help out with no development? There's one level of interviewing that you would have to do. Uh, if you're saying, "Krish, can you help me with architecting uh, 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 an entire uh, application, whether it's mobile, web, server side, whatnot?" Then there's a slightly different process you you would potentially have because you know the problem is maybe is a bit more complex. Now, if you're hiring somebody, say getting our help at Snowball to to do some AI-related work, it's it's new, right? It's it's we're a lot of us are in the early stages. So you might have a, a, a very different process. So it's it, it depends on the type of role you're filling, uh, the urgency of your role, uh, the size of the company, the money you want to spend, the, you know, a number of factors, right? All of them are subjective. But regardless, uh, you know, make sure that it's, it's very clear to the candidate as to what the process is. And hopefully the process is not too intimidating. I've seen cases where uh, there's like a four-step interview process for a six-month project. I mean, does it make sense? I don't know. I mean, you could. I mean, personally, I don't care. Uh, I just go through any process when I'm actually in uh, uh, doing consulting work. Uh, but I think it needs to make some sense, if you ask me. If you're going to hire a, uh, fill a full-time position, uh, you can have probably several rounds, uh, depending on the market, the type of position, your benefits, and pay scales, and yada, yada, yada. You have a six-month project. You're doing pretty standard stuff. I need extra pair of hands to get some uh, feature done, uh, enhancement, a bunch of enhancements implemented, or whatnot. I'm not trivializing any of this. Don't get me wrong. I think the process should have uh, some relevance to to the longevity of what you're doing. Uh, having four you know four rounds of interviews for a three month gig doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But but it is what it is, right? So just make it clear to the candidate so they at least know. If they have the time and the interest to sign up for it, so they're not surprised. If you have a live coding interview, just give them clarity about what that is going to be. It is going to be challenging because some people take to some of uh, these processes a little bit better than others. I I reckon because if you tell someone, hey, it's a eight step, you know, eight rounds of interviews with over six weeks, not everybody is going to be stoked about it. But if your company has the brand value and the type of work you're doing is exquisite, and people might you know, might be okay doing it, but you just need to be very clear and upfront about what that process is. Uh, You know, a lot of this, what comes across is, okay, what are you stating that we don't know already? Uh, I know, if it's obvious, it is obvious. Uh, Even when things things are obvious, sometimes things fall short in execution. So the reason I'm sharing this is not so much that this is sort of a revelation. I know it's not gonna be. But i want to emphasize that it is important right it is certainly important if you want to find good people and you want to keep them and you know in, you know make sure they they stay there for for long periods of time out of their own uh you know will because they enjoy doing what they do not because the market's not good or something then you're going to have to you know uh, excel every step of the way okay so we've gone up to the interview process so now you go through the process you communicate you know what's happening uh, along the way. I've seen that this happens all the time. When things are moving along fine, you get a uh, constant communication from say a recruiter. Uh, but you know, when things are not going so well, uh, maybe the client hasn't responded, maybe they rejected They passed, uh, you know, on you uh, for a number of reasons, right? It's all understandable. But I think, you you know, ultimately we are all humans. I would, uh, you know, I personally would appreciate if uh, whoever, whoever it was, whether it was a recruiter or a dev manager or a director or a developer, Whoever, whoever was interviewing me or vice versa that you you sort of keep the communication going till there's closure to it whether they end up getting the job uh or or not doesn't matter right it's all right to 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 fail interviews because that's how we learn and maybe there's not a fit for any number of reasons and it's good for both parties right you only want to have that engagement when the foot when there is a good fit uh on both sides but i think it's important to kind of continue that communication and not just not let people hanging, at least to the extent possible. Uh, uh, I think people would really appreciate that and that way you build a rapport so the next time you reach out to them or they reach out to you, there's a relationship that you've built along the way, right? Uh, okay, now that let's say they've gotten hired, if the person got rejected, then this podcast ends here, but let's say you got hired into the job, whether as a contractor or as a full-time employee, it doesn't matter. The onboarding process um, that is important. I mean, again, it depends on the type of engagement. If it's a con- consulting engagement, the process is going to be different than a full-time engagement. So, you know, take what I say with a grain of salt. Uh, but I think if, uh, you know, for, for instance, you're starting, uh, if you're working on a project with us, uh, within the first couple of hours, you probably, you will, not probably, you'll definitely have just about everything you need. Just the way we have our process in place, you know, you'll have access to the repos, You you know, kind of uh you're not like definitely by the end of day one, uh, well before that, but the, in the worst case scenario, by end of day one, you have just about everything you need to be productive. You've sort of said hello to the team. The team knows that you've onboarded, uh, you've got access and all the provisioning done. Now, I know that if the bigger you are, the company, you know, uh, I don't want to say red tape or bureaucracy, but it, it, it does uh, come into play, right? So the larger the organization, the longer that process could take. But I don't think it should take more than a couple of days, right? Uh, I think people are going to lose patience. Uh, if it takes a week, it's it's a terrible amount of time. It's too long, actually, right? And that sort of gives, you know, sets the foundation, right? Uh, to uh, the new hire about the company and how the company rolls and functions. If it takes a week to get me, uh, uh, help me get started, then I think things are moving a bit too slow. And you know, in, in, uh, we are in 2024. Uh, we need to move fast enough, right? So I think it's important. The onboarding process should be pretty seamless. Uh, and you know, uh, have a run book, uh, have folks document what went well, what was not, what what they had to scramble for. So the next time somebody comes along, you know, uh, you've done a slightly better job. So the the idea here is every new hire can contribute to, to this book, uh, you know, and that way it constantly keeps improving and it keeps changing. Because the person who got hired recently, the most recent hire, knows it uh, knows exactly what transpired, how recent the document was, or the runbook was, uh, what changes and improvements needed to be made. So you have them make improvements to that. That'll actually stand you in good stead. Uh, and also onboarding, whether you're treating contractors uh, the same as employees. Now, that's a different topic altogether. I've seen companies with the contractors as a consultant, you're pretty much embedded into the team. You're part of most of the meetings, if not all of them. Uh, other than the benefits and the other aspects of it, there's no real separation. I've uh, been, most of my project, the projects I've done, that's been the case. But I know that's not always true because I've, myself, I've been in projects where you are sort of secluded from the team just because of the way the organization works. You're not in a lot of the meetings because it's not relevant to you as a contractor. And I can certainly appreciate that. Uh, but if the more there are of such meetings, the less connect you have with the team. And it actually does not necessarily help You know, employee retention is very important for full-time employees, but it's no less important for consultants as well, right? Because you could be on a 12-month project uh, and you don't want somebody leaving after four months because you're going to have a backfill and you're going to lose time there. So it is important. It just becomes even more important for full-time employees, but it's no it's it's not entirely unimportant for contractors and consultants as well. So uh, whatever it is, however your process is in, in sort of integrating contract consultants, just make it clear to them so there's no uh, there's no confusion, right? You say, hey, this is how we roll and this is what we're doing. There'll be certain meetings you'll be part of. Others you might not be part of because that's just the way things work here. Then it's all right. But, you know, just make sure they are clear. They know what what they what they can expect. Feedback. Uh, feedback needs to be periodic, right? Um, needless to mention and clear without, there should be no ambiguity as well. Now it doesn't have to be, uh, the frequency of the of feedback doesn't have to be etched in stone, like how you do it, it just depends on a variety of factors, but at the same time, it cannot be entirely sporadic as well. So, you know, you may want to walk the fine, you do want to walk the fine line there between retaining flexibility that you need, uh, so you can provide feedback at intervals that you think make the most sense, but you know, also, being cognizant of the fact that, you know, you don't want to become, again, a bureaucracy where uh, there's no clarity on when the fee- when feedback can be expected and it, it shouldn't be too late. You don't want to tell somebody, hey, you know what, you never got these things done when you're supposed to, so we're gonna to have to let you go. That's not good, right? Uh, nobody wants to let, be let go, and you don't want to let them go either because your job hasn't been done and been completed. So, you know, just just provide feedback as frequently as you can so, uh, you know, folks uh, are clear. Now, again, I forgot to mention that, you know, I turned on the green light on. So if you're wondering why this is green, there's no real good reason. I've just been using the same uh, uh, orange color for my podcast. And I just want to try something different. So hopefully this, this is all right. I have to see because I don't know how the end, uh, outcome turns out to be. If it's good, good. If not, I'll go back to the usual light colors. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, feedback, we talked about it. Um, let's talk about you know promotions, pay raises, and titles. And now a lot of this is entirely only applicable to full time employment, not for consulting. Uh, but for full time work, uh, some of us like some of you know to each our own, essentially, right? Some of us like promotions more than pay raises. Some like pay raises. Some of us like titles. Some, I mean, if you get all of it, great. But if you have to pick and choose, uh, we associate different weightages to uh, different uh, categories of these things, right? Some of us might like a nicer uh, title because it's you know that's what we like some of us could say you know i don't care for the title just just pay me more uh, or have me a better bonus package there right or you know i need to grow in my career so i like more frequent promotions even if it's not necessarily associated with large pay increments now you got to again the company has a certain policy you, want, you obviously want to communicate that to your to your workforce Uh, But I think hopefully there is some level of flexibility, right? You know, you want to treat everyone equal, obviously, needless to mention, uh, not just for legal reasons, but for ethical reasons as well. At the same time, if there is a way to have some level of personalization so people can choose one or the other, that would be awesome, right? I think the way uh, the world is headed, uh, the direction, uh, the next generation is going to expect a lot of flexibility, uh, you know, in how they actually do whatever it is that they are helping you get done. Uh, And I wouldn't be surprised if if different people associate different importances and priorities to these items. And if you can actually respect that, great. If not, at least just make it clear that this is how we function. This is how it happens. And if it's all mechanized and automated, it it is what it is. Uh, But the more human uh, it is, the the better off it could be at least personally speaking, right? At least that's what I've uh, uh, enjoyed and that's what I try to do for people who help us as well. Time off, Um, well, you know, this is a very important topic. Uh, It's one of the most important things for me, you know, when I used to at least full-time work, uh, companies do unlimited time off. I actually wrote a blog on unlimited unlimited time off and why I'm not a personal fan of it. You can just go, you know, go to, uh, you know, our page uh, and com and look it up. Uh, unlimited time off is you know there's you can take quote unquote unlimited time off but that's literally not what it means right it's quite the it's uh even though it says it it, it's cannot mean that i mean can you take the whole year off of course not right uh so uh just again look look up what i have had to share about my two cents on that topic and if you want me to speak to it on a podcast i'm happy to do it as well um Or, you know, you have three weeks off, four weeks off. In in the U.S., we get the least amount of time off from what I've known. Other parts of the world are a little bit more liberal and magnanimous about it. So, but whatever it is, just, you know, make sure, uh, you know, you have a a decent enough uh, uh, time off policy, uh, so to speak. Uh, And there's no one size fits all. Uh, So you're going to have to do some level of customization here, right? So folks who have families in, in different countries they might be taking a few weeks together uh, you know, contiguously. Whereas if you have family locally, then you might probably just take a week or a few days off here and there. So again, there's no one size fits all and it's important that you have a certain level of element of flexibility that you offer in your time of policies, right? Uh, equipment. Now this is a topic, I don't know if it's specific to developers and architects or if it's common to everybody, but you know, I can speak to it from my standpoint. I uh, do all of my work, dev work on, on typically one of two kinds of machines, right? On OS X, for the most part, local development or when you know organizations don't have a, a Mac to hand out, it's and I ask request that I get a Linux machine. Uh, I'm entirely at home on either of those operating systems. Now, Windows, not my cup of tea. I mean, I can certainly use it, but it's not something I, you know, uh, uh, Microsoft is a great company. They have great products. Uh, but I am just not a person, personally a fan of Windows and doing development work on Windows. So, uh, as I've, you know, as, you know, in certain, I, I, when I pick up a project, I'm actually very interested in knowing what, what I would be doing on a daily basis, obviously, but how, what I would be doing, whatever it is I would be doing that on essentially. What I mean is, I'm going to say which machine I'm going to be given. Can I use my own machine, my own equipments? A lot of times I do that. A majority of the times I should say when we do managed services projects at Snowpal, other times the company can you know say, hey, you know what, we need you to use my machine. That's our machine, that's fine too. Uh, and I've requested a Mac or a Linux machine. Now there are people who are picky about those operating systems. And there are people who may not be. Now, if there are folks who are picky, just like I am, you wanna try and see if you can actually uh, entertain that, uh, you know, if it's within the realm of your budget, right? Now again, if it's a Mac, it's a more bit more expensive. Linux machines are no more expensive than Windows machines. If you're shipping a Windows machine out, I'm pretty sure and actually it could even be cheaper, right? So you should it shouldn't hurt your budget, but there could be other things like your IT team and the support that they may need to offer, whether they support all of these operating systems or not. So a lot of this plays a role. Again, in my experience, I've seen the smaller the size of the organization, the more the flexibilities have been around what how you can get this done, the larger the companies, the more standardized it becomes, which is why for some of us we might love working for large organizations but for some others we might enjoy smaller companies a whole lot more right again to each our own so uh the the machine the current generation is also used to the worlds of tiktok and instagram and a number of other things they have you know you have so many uh social media platforms there are some of them i don't know to me a lot of them have lots of similarities but still there are people who like one versus the other so when you when you can have uh, those strong opinions about what platforms you're on just on a social, from a social standpoint, I think it's fair enough to expect that you could have strong, much stronger opinions when you're going to be using that equipment, that machine, eight to 10 hours a day during the course of a week, right? So I think that's something to consider. I think it makes a dramatic difference between, uh, you know, how happy a developer is when, you give, when they're given the machine and the software they need versus not. It's not just the stack, the stack goes a long, long way. You asked me to do GoLang work today uh, because that's a lot of what we're doing in the, in recently for our API development. Uh, again, check out our APIs on uh, our on AWS Marketplace and other API hubs. I'll include the links, or you can go to our you know product company pages to see it. Uh, so it it is uh, the the choice of equipment is is quite quite important, right? So just keep that in mind. Uh, what else, right? Let's talk about, you know, uh, happiness check, right? I have an item. Even if machines will replace us one day entire in entirety or maybe uh, in higher prop- proportions, uh, we aren't there yet, not not yet, right? So tr- we need to be treated as, as people because that's what we are. So I think a happy employee, I don't know what the number is, but I just put down here saying, uh, can translate to 10 happy customers, right? Just not empirical data, just a number that I'm throwing out there. That's my opinion, right? That, you know, you have a happy employee. It doesn't matter if they never are client-facing. it They will still produce quality of code and documentation and, and all these artifacts that are going to have a profound impact on the satisfaction of your customers, right? So you're, uh, you know, you have to remember that uh, nobody's doing anyone a favor in a professional relationship. A company needs help, so they reach out. The candidate is able to offer that help so they start working for that company so it's a win-win situation or at least that's how it should be so i think it's important to treat that you know as as that a win-win professional relationship and making sure that both parties make their effort and put their best foot forward uh, to ensuring the other the other party is just as happy right uh, and again, a happy employee is gonna be a lot more productive, is gonna complain a whole lot lesser, and is gonna play a vital role in the success of your organization. So you don't wanna miss out on those low hanging fruits. Uh, uh, you know, uh, so you know, if you have to do a bit of training, which is the next item actually I have here. Some of us like it, some of us love it, some of us actually are not a big fan of it, right? If you put me on a two day, one week training, I'm gonna probably lose my mind. Uh, but there are people who enjoy and appreciate their training. So I think again, uh, you want to offer training, uh, but you want to give, let people consume training uh, other than required training that we all have to go through, right? I understand that. But the non-mandatory training, uh, you want to give people the choice to consume it at their own pace and maybe consume, you know, give them a choice. You have 10 things that they have to train on, maybe say, pick five of 10, whatever the five you want to train on, which is the non-mandatory, as- non-mandatory aspects of training, right? So I think it's important because I've uh, sometimes been in projects where, you know, you have a three-day training. Uh, you're like, you know, you're bored out of your socks because it's you feel like you, uh, you've, you know, over the years having done it, the number of times you know it. So I think, again, personalization is important uh, uh, to the extent possible, right? You know, respect that everybody is unique and different. We're not cookie cutters. So if, uh, you know, Once again, I'm not, you know, uh, vilifying large organizations, everybody's great, but I'm saying it becomes harder and harder as the company grows, but you're gonna have to make that effort to actually uh, still function as a small, you know, fast moving company, even when you are this very large organization. Um, Okay, uh, engagement, uh, I have an item there. Uh, If your employees know each other better at a more personal level, They'll actually become more productive and passionate, uh, you know, a lot more at the professional level, right? So I think investing in activities, uh, some of them, you know, I'm not saying if you can fly your whole team to Italy, to the beautiful beaches of of, of like Spain and and these exotic locations. Sure, that'll be awesome. But not every company can afford it, not in certain economies, not in today's economy, I think. Uh, But not everything is expensive, right? Engagement can be uh, cheap and effective as well. Find out what your team is going to enjoy. Whether it's a remote team, for a remote team, you're going to have to do things a little bit differently. If it's a if it's a hybrid situation, then you have a different you know set of approaches. Uh, if everybody is on site, you know, at work every day, then you take a different approach. But regardless, uh, you have to have a, fa- a, a way for folks to engage. If it's not on site, meaning if it's not people showing up at work all the time, then it's going to become more. Ch- it is more challenging in, in a remote engagement. But I think it's actually uh, an opportunity for you to improve upon, right? So see what your team needs. And depending on how geographically dispersed your team is, this can get quite interesting, intriguing, and challenging. Uh, But there are lots of tools these days, you know, and sometimes you don't even a tool. We are uh, at the core of us, each of us are like kids, right? It's it's not the size and amount of what you buy a a gift when you give it to a child uh, that makes the child be happy or excited about that. It's just that the timing of when you present that as a gift and and you, and you understanding what that particular child appreciates, right? You have to understand what your team appreciates, what the individuals appreciate and come up with something that actually has a way for them to interact and engage uh, and be respectful of people's differences, cultural differences, you know, being introverts, extroverts, and not everybody is the same and not everybody should be the same because it's going to be boring. So come up with uh, something that everyone's going to enjoy even if not equally so to, to a large extent, it's important to keep that engagement going. Um, there's a lot more, but I'm gonna uh, wrap this up uh, with one last item here, restructuring. Now this is, you know, a, a, a part of, you know, if you've done work for, for a number of, for any period of time, you recognize that economies change, that the situations change, you know, uh, sometimes it's very dramatic and re- uh, disruptive like AI, uh, other times it's not so disrupt disruptive, but it's just the economy, you know, the macro, the micro economies changing and impact. And a lot of those things will require companies restructure. Maybe they acquire another company. Then Maybe there's a merger. Uh, maybe, you know, they just didn't sell as much as they wanted to sell last quarter. So it is understandable, right? That things have to change. You know, it's, it's the, you know, if you're in the private sector, at least, which is where I've all, done all of my work in, you have to brace yourself for those types of things happening. And have you accepted, it just depends on you as a person. Now I've done consulting for a long time. We are a product company, but we also do manage services, right? Uh, As one of the things we do at Snowpal. So we are used to the notion of consulting. So we know projects can be any length and we're not worried about the length and the size and the longevity of a project. We just want to enjoy every moment of what we are doing. But when you're in a full-time engagement, you might have slightly different expectations, right? You've gone through a process. You're there. You're in there for the long haul. Um, So if things change and you had to be then there was an unfortunate situation where you had to be let go. uh, How you react to it is completely depends, right? It depends on uh, each individual, uh, their their phase of life, uh, the demographic, and a number of other things. But I think as a company, uh, you have to do the best so you have a human aspect to it. Um, so don't treat the people who you want to have to let go as like machines because they are not machines. Not yet, at least, right? Uh, t- until uh, AI is us in entirety, like I've said before. So I think it's it's not terribly difficult. It shouldn't be difficult. No matter how big you are as a company, uh, you don't to, you know, uh, you can read up and Google to see all kinds of uh, layoffs where people actually have taken offense to it or been completely insulted or, hurt or embarrassed or what not. So there's, it's quite easy to find out what you don't want to do, but it's much harder to find out what might be some of the correct or the right ways to do it. That I don't know, I cannot prescribe anything here. As long as you can treat people as people, I think you should be all right. And similarly, a piece of advice to folks who are in that unfortunate situation, you know, they're getting the pink slip, you don't take it personally right and things change you know every when one door shuts the other one opens or plenty of them open so this take this as an opportunity you know maybe it takes if you can afford it take some time off uh you know do something different take a com- complete break and feel refreshed and come back apply and then you know sometimes it takes no time uh you find like six different options offer you find six offers in like three days and you're like you feel like you're on top of the world you got to be the smartest person on planet earth other times it might take you several weeks or months, and it's very humbling. I know life is that way, right? It just depends. So when you get plenty of offers in quick time, be happy, be grateful. Uh, and when you don't, uh, don't be upset. It's difficult, uh, but you know, tell yourself that it's just the way things were are meant to be and things are gonna change, it's gonna get better, it's gonna be fine. Uh, other than restructuring, what if you're just moving on out of your personal will because you just want to change jobs, Maybe you're switching careers. You want to go to a different company or relocating. Whatever could be the reason. Uh, let your, you know, just don't, you know, uh, it's it's two weeks notice is courtesy. But I say give as much notice as you possibly can because, you know, somebody trusts you in getting something done uh, and they may uh, uh, have an urgent uh, need for you to continue. Maybe you can do part-time if you can uh, after you move on. So there's a number of ways you can continue to engage with your client because, you know, I always say that getting hired the first time is difficult, but not the most difficult getting hired the second time into the same team or the company is actually even more difficult because they know you. uh, And if they actually want you back, that means they, you actually did a good job. You did something, you you delivered to your promises or you did better than that. And that's, I take a lot of pride in that, right? We love, uh, you know, we respect, of course, all our clients, uh, but we are even more grateful to our uh, clients who work with us the second time and the third time and, and and so on, because we know that they could have just gone anywhere else to find that help, but they came back to us, right? So you as a as an employee also should do your part when you're moving on. Uh, just, just be very professional about it. Uh, give as much time as you can uh, and then help out in the transition and the knowledge transfer and whatnot. All of this collectively will vote for, you know, a happy relationship at work, professional relationship as an employee and as an employer as well. Hope that makes sense. Tell me if you agree or disagree what your thoughts are. With that, I'm going to end this podcast. Thanks for watching.